Go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 5. Acts chap- chapter 5, verse 12. Begin reading there in a moment or two. I was just uh, sitting and thinking, Jody, where do you go? You did a good job up there. All of y'all did a good job, but I was sitting thinking, that's your spiritual gift. I mean, most people here would agree, but I had thought from what I heard it would be hunting, but it really wasn't. After I went hunting with him Friday, I realized that's not his spiritual gift. He needs to stick to singing most of the time. Uh, so you did a good job singing tonight. I just want you to know that. That was a compliment. I want you to hear that tonight. You know, it's it's been a great day to be in the house of the Lord. I love this time of year. Uh, so many things. Being able to get outside, uh, uh, just enjoy the outdoors, and then uh, just like yesterday, being able to uh, get with several folks at the ball game and tailgate, and just it's just a beautiful time of year, wonderful. Uh, I just praise the Lord for the refreshment He gives us during these moments. And then just uh, to have days, uh, just days like today. I mean, today just for me has been a, a time of refreshment and a time of a renewal before the Lord. I hope it has been for you. I hope every Sunday can be that way as we come to worship and I thought today God has blessed us in our worship and he's blessed us in our studies uh in the gathering today uh we invited our college students several of them to uh come and to uh be a part of our watch care association you have heard us at temple we have this uh watch care membership watch care association where we ask uh those who um really have just here for a limited time they know that they don't want to move their membership fully from their home church but they come they commit to us we commit to them and this was i think a genius uh, idea by southern baptist many many years ago whether it was a college student or a military individual whatever else that they were in they could say we want to be under your spiritual guidance in a sense and we want to contribute to the kingdom while we're here now today i think we had 30 20 35 that's what i thought 35 who came to in the gathering and that was a wonderful time to see all those college students up there and uh, celebrate with them. And it, it's just been a just been a tremendous day as uh, we've seen uh, seen God work. So, you know what? We should expect that every time we come together, though. We should expect that. We should expect the power of God to rest upon His people when we come together. You may have heard me say uh, give this illustration before, but. It is so true that Charles Haddon Spurgeon was approached by a young preacher one day. The young preacher came to Spurgeon, and he uh, was lamenting about how nobody came when he preached. He would preach Sunday after Sunday, and nobody seemed to respond to his message. And Spurgeon looked at that young preacher, and he said to him, he said, well, you don't expect people to come every Sunday, do you? I mean, every time you preach, you don't expect that, do you? And the young man said, no, I don't. I, I, I guess not. No, I shouldn't. And Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, that's your problem. You should. You should expect people to come every time you preach. Every time the gospel is presented, every time something happens, you should at least expect the people to respond to God's message. If that's God's message for the moment, they should respond in some way. Whether they come forward or whether they're in their pew or wherever they are, they should respond to the Scripture, to what God has said. So I feel like that God is giving us that sense of expectation and anticipation every time we come together. And I'm so excited about that, that God has given us such a heart. 
And I pray that tonight as we see that power and that strength demonstrated as it continues through his story here in Acts, that it will continue to excite us about the kingdom of God. Notice what it says in verse 12 of that fifth chapter of Acts. It says, And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Now remember, they had just had this moment where God had demonstrated his power in the lives of Ananias and Sapphira as they had come forward and they were deceptive in their ways. God had dealt with them and in a sense had brought us this uh, awe upon the church. It was this sense of holiness that had been brought upon the church that he so loved. And it says that now these things continue, the signs and the wonders that were accomplished. Verse 13, yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. The rest, it's rather, um, the rest is one of those terms is rather vague. It's a little hard to figure out in the early days. They believe this to be the Jewish officials that would, that just would not give over, not, just not give over to the gospel, but rather they esteemed the people. They respected the, those apostles. They knew something was going on, but out of fear, perhaps they would not join the group of believers. But it says the people esteemed them again highly. Verse 14, and believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they brought the sick out into the streets and they laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Basically what Dr. Luke gives us here is a snapshot of the continuing power of God in the life of this early church. He just gives us a little snapshot. And Dr. Luke is good at that. I mean, what he's doing is he's summarizing the advancement of the gospel. He's summarizing how God's good news is going forth to the nations. And here he reminds them that the power continues to be evidenced even in the acts of healing, within the miracles themselves, as people are drawn to what is being accomplished by this early church. It says that people were, were hoping just to catch the shadow of Peter when he passed by. They believed. Now, remember, first century, many believed in certain magical powers. They believed in certain superstitions. And it, it, but they believed that somehow there was a power that had rested. Even those from pagan backgrounds, even superstitious individuals, they could see in the life of the church that there was something that was different. There was something that was powerful. And they wanted to come. Even if they could just catch the shadow of Peter, they believed that there, met, there might be a healing the power of God revealed through the life of the church. Now, I believe for us today, we first need to be reminded in our churches that that same power is available to us. That same power is what should sustain us as his people. That same power comes as the Holy Spirit ministers through us and in us. I think we need to be reminded of that. I know I sound like a broken record. 
I know we've talked about the power of God in these passages before, but I'm telling you, when I see the church that we see now, in the, even in the United States, a church that appears to be anemic, a church that appears to be weak, a church that seems to be flailing, we need to be reminded that there is a power that is greater than us and a power that wants to be a, work itself into our lives and accomplish great things. It's the same power. You know, we look at this sometimes and we think, oh, how fanciful this is. What a great story. The apostles were so, they were so authoritative and they were so powerful. Remember, these were ordinary men, were they not? They were marveled at because they were ordinary men. They had no education. They simply had caught the vision of Jesus Christ. They had been with him and the Holy Spirit was empowering them. And great things were occurring. Now, I'm not saying that tonight we're going to have a healing, that I'm going to perform a healing. You'll probably not hear me ever say that on Sunday night. I'll probably never say, hey, come forward, and I want to tell you. I don't think that's my gift. I don't think I'm going to be able to accomplish. But I will tell you this, the Holy Spirit and the power of God still heals people. He may use a doctor. He may use medicine. He may use any resource, or he may just touch that individual. I still believe he does those things. Now, I know I sound like a little out there for you sometimes, but I'm telling you that the same power that continued in the life of the church in the book of Acts is the same power that we must see in our lives today. And when we pray for healing, we ought to pray in faith, knowing that he has the power to heal and knowing that he has the discernment and the discretion because he is God to heal whom he deems necessary. And also, just as I was reminded today over at Miss Rainwater's house, to be reminded that sometimes, well, not just sometimes, all the time for the believer, death is the ultimate healing. But remember the power of God. To see the power that would draw the attention and the interest of the people around. And thus give more opportunity for the gospel to be shared. You know, that's what I pray for. I pray that God would demonstrate his power so in us that it would be something that would be accomplished across the community and beyond and draw attention, not for the name of Temple Baptist Church, but rather for the name of Christ. That something would happen. I mean, here they are. They're coming. They believe that something is going to happen. If they come before those apostles, something is going to happen. That's what they believe because they've heard of the great power that they had. And what you'll see is when the disciples have an opportunity, people come and the power is known. What do they do? They share the good news of Christ. That's the reason we want to see such power demonstrated. I mean, wouldn't it be awesome that if somehow in this community there would be people that would say, you know something, there, there is something happening among the people of God at temple. There is, I'd, 
I don't know all about this God stuff, and I don't know all about this Jesus, but I know that something is totally different. Those individuals there, that something's happening with their, with their lives, and there's a power that they demonstrate. Something is there, and that they would be drawn in such a way, again, not to a location and not to a building, but rather they would be drawn in a sense so that they might hear the gospel of Christ. And then, upon hearing it, hopefully receiving it, and then receiving the power of Christ in their own lives. That is awesome. And I think that's what we ought to pray for. Knowing that the power is here, whether or not we will live that power in our lives. It says that a multitude from the surrounding cities come to Jerusalem. They want to hear of the name of Christ. They want to experience at least the power of Christ. Well, while I hope you get excited about that, I want to remind you that even when the power of Christ is given or seen and the name of Christ is proclaimed, it doesn't mean everybody is going to be happy about it. Okay? When I tell you this and you get all excited and we think, oh, these are great, great days, don't forget that in the midst of great days can be difficult days. And it says in verse 17, Then the high priest rose up, and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. It says that the priestly aristocracy rises up against these apostles. Those people, those that are identified as Sadducees, the high priest, they are disturbed to say the least of what is happening. Why do you think they were so disturbed? All right, think back. Brother Reggie preached this. Some Sunday nights ago, he told us about the Sadducees. I see you. You're thinking you're looking. Yes. Sadducees believed what? No resurrection. No supernatural power. No supernatural. No angels. Nothing. Su- it, there's nothing like that. That's all made up fanciful stuff. The Sadducees did not believe any of those kinds of things. So here, when they're hearing the power and they're seeing the power... They're very disturbed. I think that's the reason Dr. Luke tells us specifically that this, these are the ones of the sect of the Sadducees that are really filled with indignation. And they lay hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. But at night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors, hearkening back to Old Testament days with the angel of the Lord terminology. And it says, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest and those with him came and called the council together with all the elders of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought out. So here they are. They're arrested. Why? Because the power of God's being demonstrated in their lives and the Sadducees do not believe in the power. They arrest them. They imprison them. 
They say, we're going to deal with you. We're going to take you before the Sanhedrin in the morning, verse 22. But when the officers came and did not find them in the prison, they returned and reported saying, indeed, we found the prison shut securely and the guards standing outside before the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now, I think Dr. Luke actually meant this to be rather comical. I mean, at least on the, as he spoke about the authorities, the Sanhedrin, <laughs> here they are. They're all gathered together. Can you, all of these, all of these men gathered together to pass this judgment upon these apostles. Here they are. You can see how sanctimonious they look. You can see how they're all together. They're, they've got their game face on. It's almost like they've attended the Southern Baptist Convention. I didn't say that. Uh, something. Here they are. They're ready. And then word comes back to them and said, hey, we went to get the prisoners. You said, they're not there. They're not. The doors, they were secured. The guards, they were standing there. They didn't realize anything had even happened. But the prisoners are gone. Oh, I bet the Sanhedrin, who had gotten all, okay, let's use a technical term, gussied up for this special moment, had gotten their game face on, sitting there ready to engage these apostles who had really violated what they had asked them to do earlier in this book they had said we want you to go and not preach the name of jesus they had violated that they had shown them and now while they're sitting there waiting to pass such judgment they're gone we don't even know where they are it looks like we can't get things together it looks like we are incompetent here to even deal with this but that power get this that power that they so denied was the power that had secured the release of the apostles. Isn't it amazing that those who would fight against the power of God, they would, they would deny it, they would try to explain it away, they would try to use reason and rationality. How when it comes down to it, the power of God is still displayed and exemplified. And even though they may be blind to it, it is still evident before all other creation. Here, they recognize or they know that the prisoners are gone. Verse 24, it says, Now when the high priest, the captain of the temple, and the chief priest heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. So one came and told them, saying, Hey, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Now, it's a great place to go to the temple to teach. Why? Because that, that's where the people are. You want to go where the people are. Thankfully, you come see me every Sunday. But if you didn't, I'd probably start coming to your house because I'd have to preach because it's in my bones, in my heart. I'd have to come because you got to have an audience. And, and here they are. They know they've got to preach. That's what God had commissioned them to do to give witness the angel of the lord said to them you got to go go to the temple go to the place where people are and share 
the gospel. So it's not surprising to any of us. It is surprising to them because you would think if convicts or prisoners had been freed, they would just run. But they're not released to run. They're released to fulfill the task of sharing the gospel. They never doubted that. So here they are. They're preaching and they're teaching. Verse 26, Then the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in his name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. He says, you're trying to bring down the establishment and our authority. Look at what Peter says. Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than man. Rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of his sins. And we are his witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. It's a short gospel message, but do you hear this? One, Peter simply states this principle that we should live by. That we ought to obey God rather than men. He says, I know what you said. I heard you. But understand my allegiance is not to your authority. Now, I don't think Peter was a zealot here. I don't think he was trying necessarily to bring down the the Roman Empire or bring down the Sanhedrin. I'm not sure he's really caught up in all the political mechanisms of the day. But when the governing authorities attempt to restrict the gospel and its advancement, then a choice has to be made. And Peter says, when it comes down to it, there is something, there is an authority that is higher than yours. There is an authority that is greater than any other man here on this earth. And that authority is seen in God himself. And I have to obey him. I'm not going to go through a litany of things tonight, but I would say to you that we as believers, especially, I never thought I would say this, but in the years to come, we need to be ready and willing to say, we ought to obey God rather than men. I never thought I would really face this until the last few years. The last few years, I have decided that there may come a time in even my lifetime, especially my children's lifetime, where living in the United States, the gospel itself, the exclusive proclamation of salvation through Jesus Christ may not only be hindered, it may in some ways be prohibited. I was thinking this week when I celebrated my birthday, 
that while my bones feel old and my hair is falling out, I'm still pretty young. And if God gives me health, understand if God gives me health and if God gives you health, because none of us are promised tomorrow. But if God does give us health and empower us, especially for some of those of us who are younger, mark my words that one day we will have to make a statement such as this, that we ought to obey God rather than men. Yes, I believe in submission to governments. I've read Romans. Some of you will quote it to me afterwards. I believe Romans. I'm not an anarchist. Not whatsoever. I want to say that. I may be taped by the FBI right now. Who knows? But authority, our authority and our allegiance must always come to God first. Ask Moses, or ask Moses' parents at least. When the king, the Pharaoh of Egypt, tried to snuff out Moses' life and other young Hebrew children. It was the allegiance to God that they leaned upon. When Daniel, when the three Hebrew children, when they were given an order to bow down, it was their allegiance to God that was the priority of their life, even over their allegiance to a king. I say to you, Listen to Peter's words. Let those words sink in your heart. And let it be the resolve of your life that you will obey God rather than men. That's what Peter says. And then he gives the gospel presentation. He says, The God our fathers raised of Jesus who you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted. It's the God of Israel God, the God of Israel that intended for Jesus to be the Christ, to be the Messiah. And he had this purpose and he had this plan to provide salvation. He says to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. It, it's rather ironic when you read the New Testament and you especially look at the high priest words, you will find irony in different places, whether it's the high priest speaking and or the Sanhedrin speaking about how it would be one man that would give his life for Israel. Or even here where the high priest had said, you're trying to bring this man's blood on us. Peter could have very easily said, I am absolutely trying to bring this man's blood upon you. Not to bring you down, not to somehow destroy authority, but rather for you through the blood of Christ to know forgiveness and repentance in your life. Because it's through the blood that we come to salvation. It is through the sacrifice and the sufficient sacrifice of Christ that we come. And it is rather ironic that the high priest would say, you're trying to bring this man's blood upon us. But see, Peter had to present the gospel. He had to share why in verse 32, he says, because we are witnesses. Remember Acts chapter 1 verse 8? So that you would be witnesses. That was the charge. That was the purpose of those disciples. 
You will be witnesses to these things. And he says, we are witnesses. And so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. See, evangelism, sharing with other individuals. It comes from a true, authentic experience and transformation that you have had in Christ Jesus. It's going to be hard for you to share with anybody unless you first experience salvation in your own life. It's hard to take the gospel to other people unless the gospel has so infected you and transformed you. And he says, we're only saying these things and witnessing because we, we've experienced this. And also, not only is it coming out of our experiential witness of Christ and what he's done, but it's coming out of the Holy Spirit living within us and that power that we're given, he says. Those are the two motivating factors of evangelism, that you have been saved and the gospel's transformed you and that the Holy Spirit that resides in you gives you the absolute power you need to speak to somebody else in the name of Christ. Really, in that one statement, the two motivating factors of evangelism. Well, you would think they would hear, you, you would think they would respond positively, right? Guess what? They didn't. Verse 33 when, when they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them. Then one in the council stood up, a Pharisee named Gamaliel. This is what Chuck Swindoll calls an unlikely, or maybe it's William Barclay actually calls an unlikely ally. Gamaliel, a Pharisee. Now, usually you would think the Pharisees would be against Jesus and his apostles, but the Pharisees at least accepted the supernatural. They at least believed in the literal rendering of God's word, they believed in certain admirable doctrines. And here it is Gamaliel, Pharisee, a teacher of the law, held in respect by all the people that commanded to put the apostles outside for a little while. Let's go into executive session, if we could. This is not for public consumption, but may we talk among ourselves here these are personnel matters. We believe we need to go into executive session if we can't. Let's put them out. Let's talk. And he said to them, men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do regarding these men. From some time ago, Thetis rose up claiming to be somebody. I love that. He, he claimed to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him. He was slain and all who obeyed him were scattered and came to nothing. After this, man, Judas of Galilee, rose up in the days of the census and drew away many people after him. He also perished, and all who obeyed him were dispersed. And now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if, it, if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. The seasoned professor, Gamaliel. In the midst of indignation and fury, he brings reason to the table. And he says, friends, we need to think about this. We've seen those who have come and gone before, Thetis, 
Judas. In each case, they attempted to lead people astray. But when the Romans dealt with them, their followers simply dispersed. So my counsel is that we just let them go on. And if this is nothing, they will fail. But if this continues and the movement gains traction and the movement infects people's hearts and lives, then we've got to deduce it's from God. And if it's from God, I don't want to be on the side that's fighting against him. Pretty good reason, right? Now remember, Gamaliel had a famous student. His name was? There you go. Saul. Paul. I was reading a little bit about this relationship earlier. I'm not sure Saul, at least at this point, would have been the reasoned guy either. Later on in the book of Acts, he'll talk about how his passion and his heart, his zeal, drove him, drove him to persecute those early believers. There were, you could almost sense blood in his eyes. And perhaps when he had heard or maybe he had thought of, maybe he had gotten the report about what Gamaliel said, I think Paul might have said something like, I can't believe my teacher would say that. I can't believe that he would compromise in such a way. But thank God for an unlikely ally. Well, understand that was not the end of their suffering. You would think things would be fine now. Hey, they had been cleared in a way. But verse 40 says, And they agreed with him. When they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. What had they done wrong? Absolutely nothing. I wish I could tell you that things would always be just grandiose for you as you serve the Lord, as you take a stand, you obey God. I wish I could tell you everything would just go so well that you would never experience any kind of persecution or suffering. That is not the biblical viewpoint. I remember, I remember Mr. Bob Poole. One Sunday I was speaking about obeying God rather than men. He absolutely agreed with me. But he reminded me after the message that when you decide that you will obey God rather than men, you also say, I am willing to accept the consequences of whatever comes my way. You have to be willing, he said, to accept the consequences. And here, the apostles accepted the consequences. And it says in verse 41, they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. They just said, hey, let's count it a joy that we were able to suffer on his behalf. In verse 42, what does it say? They were told not to speak the name of Jesus. Verse 42, and daily. Daily in the temple. 
and in every house. They did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. And thanks be to God that they did not. Because I remind you again, because of the apostles' boldness, because of their perseverance, because they would not heed the authority of the Sanhedrin. They kept preaching and they kept teaching and somehow the gospel overcame all barriers through the power of the Holy Spirit reaching into the nations, reaching into Reston, Louisiana so that we might know life so that we might be forgiven. Again, may we sense that power which continues today. And may we be faithful in our witness as we proclaim the good news of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we bless your name now. We thank you for the faithfulness of those who have gone before us. We thank you for the power of your spirit that has directed them and that has guided them. And Father, we thank you tonight that in this place, your power is still evident. And that as we go, even tomorrow, that you will empower us to be about your business and share your good news. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand?